Hello and welcome to CPSA Every Day. Um, I'm pleased to introduce to you today our speaker, Anahita Kahihani of Alta Sciences, who I've known for quite a few years in, in different roles, and we've had quite a lot of fun along the way. And uh, she certainly knows to uh, um, put me in my place from time to time. Um, but with no more, no more to say, I'd like to just introduce uh, Anahita with her talk, Transitioning Novel Scientific Workflows to Routine Bioanalysis. Over to you, Anahita. Uh, thank you very much, and thank you so much to Neil and Mike and CPSA uh, every day for uh, thinking of me and having me participate uh, in this uh, new project and uh, the new way of seeing things. So today I'm I'm going to talk about the no transitioning novel scientific workflows to routine bioanalysis, and I'm this is something that has always interested me because when I first started out uh, in the industry in a CRO. Um, I, I noticed that there was always the people who were the, the scientists and the leaders, but then when we wanted to move things into the routine work, that's, that's really where a lot of the gaps came to be seen. So if we think of science and innovation and bioanalysis and application and imp implementation within a CRO, uh, innovation is often driven by the motivation of one individual or a small team. So if we think in the terms of Malcolm Gladwell, who um, basically had this in his one of his books, innovation is a strong link game. It, it's very strong people with a lot of knowledge, in-depth knowledge, very motivated individuals. So science is at the forefront of innovation. However, once we have that science in place, setting the workflow foundations and managing log logistics becomes just as critical. And innovation to impl implementation, in my mind, uh, switches from being a strong link game to a weak link game. So what do I mean by that? I mean, for successful implementation of novel bioanalytical workflows, we have to object objectively identify the weak links. So the strategy is to address the weak, weak links and also win the hearts and minds of the stakeholders. Because when something is novel, something is new, you're talking about change, changing at every level and doing things a different way, and people don't like change. Um, just as we've seen with the uh, pandemic, we've had to change because we've been forced to change. It's not that we ever thought we would be where we are now and the way we're living our lives and doing our work if we hadn't been forced to do it. So uh, hopefully we won't have any more situations like this one. So really change, you have to win the hearts and minds of the stakeholders. So I'll give you a little bit of examples. Here at Alta Sciences, uh, we, we've delved a lot now into microsampling. So if you think about microsampling, uh, you take the sample, the, the subject or at the clinic, they put it in this bag, they send it to you, it's at room temperature. Uh, but what happens? So if you just think of the sample, uh, for us when we started, you know, we put the science together, we got the method set up, we even uh, set up the method SOPs and uh, the um, SOPs for managing a validation or sample analysis. Uh, you know, we, we first set it up, but then there were all these weak links that we identified. For example, when the samples would come in, when you get plasma samples, they're frozen, you scan them and you put them in the freezer, minus 80, minus 20. So we have to think about, okay, these samples are coming in in a pouch. 
which they're supposed to put desiccant. But we found that a lot of people don't put the desiccant. So that became a new workflow. We had to make sure that when the samples arrived, they were the pouch was checked to see if there was desiccant in the pouch. Uh, we had to now um, you know, do our sampling again. When you spike standards in QCs, you, you spike in plasma or serum, but now you have to um, make these standards in QCs with the VAMPs, the volumetric absorptive microsampling device. So when you did whole blood stability, you usually do it for the time of like plasma, I mean, from blood collection to plasma or serum harvesting, but now you're, you have to have this whole blood stability to cover the amount of time that it's going to take you to prepare these standards and QCs. So all of this became, you know, new workflows and, and training people and putting in the different um, organizational structures and support that they could do this correctly. And, you, you know, one of the things that we did when I talk about winning hearts and minds is we also used a lot of the discussion of why this is important. Why is microsampling important? How is it going to help pediatrics? How is it going to help sick patients? Uh, sampling from home, removing the burden of maybe going to the clinic. So by bringing that this new innovation, yes, it's going to disrupt your workflows. It's going to be new things to learn and new processes. Look how it's going to help society. You know, people relate to children. They relate to, you know, their relatives who are ill and might have to go all the way to the clinic. And it's then we also uh, suddenly you have a new thing to store. So you can see here I have a picture of our storage facility for these uh, samples. So these samples, you know, they first came in and we had them in a um, a cabinet, but then they became more and more and more. So we had to again. Think of this as a weak link and address it. So we set up our uh, storage area. Um, so another example for the microsampling was uh, again the Tasso device. Uh, this again the science was really easy. You have the scientists taking care of it. They understand. They're your strong link players, and they can uh, manage it. But then now you have this Tasso device which collects blood in this little tube. We had to get the, the little centrifuges, the spout, sprout. We had to have people learn how to, uh, you know, use them in the clinic, use them in our lab, and, and make sure that the uh, new processes were well implemented. So that's for microsampling. Do you guys have any questions? No. Uh, I, I think it's great examples, Anahita, of just um, change. And the, and the difficulties of change, and you know, and you've absolutely nailed it in that in those first couple of slides. That um, technology has come along, but turning that technology into a solution that actually makes a difference that you can use that's going to make a difference for the patient and meets the regulations um, is difficult. And and you know, a lot of people think you can just buy a technology off the shelf and. The problem has been solved and it's not because you've got to deal with people and you've got to deal with change and change control and and you know you absolutely nailed it anahita that and that is the difficult piece and that's the bit you know if you don't bring those people along with you and help them through that change it's just not going to happen it could be the best technology the planet has ever seen but it will just end up in the dustbin and no one else will ever use it because you've not handled the change very well and you've not addressed 
people's conservatism and their, their reluctance to change. And uh, I'd be interested as we go through just hear how you how you in your your organization you deal with that kind of change and how you work with yeah. people. Yeah, again, it's the people that are the most important. I've come to this uh, this this is how I see it. You can have the most amazing technology, the most amazing instruments, the most beautiful lab. But it really comes down to the people and bringing the people with you and and really capturing their hearts and minds. Uh, another um, workflow that again we've implemented in our lab, I would say, extremely successfully, and again due to the strong scientists that we have, is hybrid LBA LCMS uh, assay workflow. So again, uh, the immunocapture complex. We have the King Fisher, we have the thermal active, and the uh, the Cyxes. And again, we were a laboratory that was used to doing small molecule bioanalysis by mass spec. So again, this brought in, again, additional complexity. Um, we now had to manage these uh, critical reagents, which usually in a small molecule work, you don't. So we had to uh, bring our people on board from our technicians to our biomedical principal investigators. Uh, to to manage these and to develop uh, evaluations that you need to do as part of validation, cross-validation, moving from lot to lot. Because, again, as we've increased the complexity of bioanalysis and we're using more and more uh, supplies from different vendors, the quality of those supplies have to be considered. And again, for a mass spec lab that was doing small molecule to transition to these large molecule analyses, this again became a, a weak link that we had to address. And again, most uh, small molecule mass spec assays are usually done within the day. When you're doing the, um, the surrogate peptide approach and the digestion and all that, now you're moving to a two-day assay sometimes with incubation. So again, a lot of these uh, workflows, while the science was there, the scientists were able to put it together in a, a method, became more and more things that we had to consider to correct and, and, and determine the weak links and train people, put in workflows, uh, documentation. And again, when you move, you know, routine bioanalysis is one thing, moving to uh, regulated bioanalysis just adds more complexity to it. So again, managing this, managing this change uh, really took a lot of cooperation and and again, bringing the people along, because again, a technician that came in and was doing protein per sip, and now you want your staff to start doing these complex assays that are more challenging and difficult. Uh, again, you you know, that, that's, a, that's a challenge. And, and, and I'm happy to say that we, again, were able to really building on what we're doing. Why are we, what are these assays? Why is it important? How is it gonna help? Uh, I think really brought the people on board and, and made them very interested in its success because their work days changed. It became more of a burden for them compared to what they were doing before. So that's another of my examples uh, where we've again managed this change successfully. And uh, this one is the last one. I'm not really gonna go into the details, but I just wanna bring everybody's attention uh, this is some work we did for dystrophin as a biomarker in muscle tissue. Imagine uh, to support uh, the quantitation of dystrophin in muscle tissue from children. So imagine if some parent is going to 
allow you to take a biopsy before and after treatment from their child, well, that sample is so, so precious. And you have to be able to hopefully get the most information you can from that sample successfully. Uh, here you can see we have uh, many different organizations that work together. So uh, the paper we put out with the other organizations was orthogonal analysis of dystrophin protein and mRNA as a surrogate outcome for drug development. And these methods were then used with samples from children to see if the treatment had an impact on dystrophin. And again, it was so interesting because again, the science was not the weak link. The weak link was the um, understanding each other's needs because this method we analyzed um, digest from Western plot. You know, they did the Western and then they cut out and it was digested. And uh, we did the analysis for dystrophin, but we had to work with another CRO where our vocabulary, our understanding of how to, you know, they're doing Western and we're doing mass spec. So we had to work together to really understand each other's vocabulary so that we could have the documentation from what we needed to be done and for what they needed to provide to us to, to understand and, and, and be successful in it. So again, it wasn't so much the science, it was the people and everybody understanding each other's vocabulary vocabulary and what is meant this again was another example and and it was very challenging and I'm, I'm happy to say it was successful but i won't say that it, it happened very easily so taking all of this together when you're working with novel scientific workflows and transitioning to routine uh, bioanalysis i really think of it as a management of strong and weakling transitions you start with the strong so the strong link teams are success driven. So those are mostly your method development scientists. Your, you know, they they are the ones who are um, really going after innovation and 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 thinking of all the new uh, types of technologies that we can implement. And then you transition where you need to really think of, as a weak link team, like validation, sample analysis. And here you, it's really driven by focusing on the performance of the system. So for novel technologies, we need to identify and correct the weak links to optimize the per performance of the novel system. And one of the things that I always, um, you know, in my mind, I, I studied uh, food scientists, food science and nutrition in my undergrad. So one of the things that was always, um, you know, that I thought of uh, different systems was hazard analysis, critical control points. They use this a lot in the food industry. And this is how I always think of bringing new technologies is really doing that analysis and seeing where are your critical control points that you might fail. Because if you're doing a validation, a sample analysis, your weakest link is going to cause the failure. You know, that's what's going to happen. So it, I think if we, we think like this, when we're trying to bring the novel uh, scientific workflows into play, it, it gives us more of a chance for success. So that was sort of my talk. And uh, if you have questions. Uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I feel like clapping. This is great. I think <laughs> you will. So, um, Anita, that's great. I have a, uh, just more to add, but more encouragement. I think, um, Anahita, I, I think uh, your uh, experience, it, it's, uh, and I think it's, you have to experience it. Um, definitely, it's the human factor. Um, in my day job and certainly how I work with Emily and Gary is uh, we call it human architecture. 
Um, you, when you, uh, you're only as good as your weakest link and it tends to be human <laughs> winning the yes. And uh, this is something empowering, which is our weakness is our strength. Because when a human believes and they feel included and, and empowered or important, it, it's transformative. So um, the way you said it can tell you've done it. So I, I applaud that because oftentimes, particularly a scientist, even the most human, uh, we can just look at a technology and we think that it just can work itself. And it's, you know, that that technology usually needs infrastructure driven by humans, right? So you can have an automobile, but without traffic, traffic patterns and roadways and infrastructure, it's just four wheels and an engine. So um, that's quite astounding. I'll yield to Neil because I can tell he's got a lot to say, but I think if we could share this conversation, I think this is a lifetime achievement, what you had just not in just sampling and what method validation, but it, it goes beyond, it's very deep. So I, I, it's just wonderful. Yeah, I, I, it's stunning, Anahita. And, and, you know, the examples are great, but, you know, to me, as you said, and as Mike said, it's it's all about people and, and relationships. And without understanding that and, and knowing how to work with people and, and how to make change, all the fanciest technologies just don't succeed. So I just wondered whether you could give us a little bit of insight as to how at Alter Sciences, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that, you know, fail at this kind of thing. Whereas, you know, you're showing three beautiful examples there of just how you as a company and you as individuals have succeeded in doing this. So, so what what's your magic sauce? <laughs> well, I would think the most important is always to begin with the end in mind. And and I find a lot of times, you know, I, I've been told multiple times on the phone by sponsors that, well, just do the method development and validation and don't worry about the samples. <laughs> I'm like, but the samples, you know, that development, that validation, I need to have some idea of the samples so that I can help you. You know, it, it comes as simple as, as the anticoagulant. Yeah. This is the point of developing a method with K2 EDTA if somebody's going to collect those samples in sodium heparin. Of course, you can go back and, and do, you know, more work, but more work is cost and money. And, you know, the new, you know, the, the paradigm shift to the outsourcing model and having smaller companies well, that makes that very challenging because I always think as the larger pharma companies, you can start that way because you have, you know, you own it and you have deeper pockets and you can go back and address any gaps. While the smaller companies will know every every step, it's a huge investment and there's not any product that is being sold to fund the R&D. So what what we do as a team is we really work to have conversations with our sponsors, with the people we work with externally, to really understand what is the scope of your project? What do you need? What are you trying to achieve? What is the PK endpoint? And then we bring that also back to the rest of our team, you know, not just the ones that you see at conferences and, you know, the ones of us that are so visible, because our success is related to all the people that work in the background with us and bring that message back to them and have, you know, think of each project, you know, what is what is being achieved? So that's something that we as a team, 
really work hard is to make everybody who's involved in a particular program or project to sort of understand what is the end? What do they want? What information do they need to get? What are, you know, for us, it's simple. It's bioanalytical sample results with some level of precision and accuracy so that a decision can be made, right? You use the statistics, you come up uh, with that information, you will make your next decision. But at least giving all the internal stakeholders that vision, I think it really helps for success. And, and trying to make sure that the, the people who are starting, you know, you know, on the clinical side, I, I find there's always gaps example, just to give you a simple example, we had a client who came to us and they needed us to develop and validate three methods. And as we discussed with them, it became, um, you know, for two of the compounds, it was fine. You didn't need a stable, but for one of them, you did. And during the conversations, it became clearer and clearer that this study was going to be done in a doctor's office and with patients. And so, you know, to help everybody, we determined that we should develop and validate our method with and without stabilizer and make sure that all the samples at the at the doctor's office were collect, collected with stabilizer instead of the nurse having to think, okay, I'm going to put this aliquot for this analysis and this aliquot for this analysis. And, you know, so this is sort of the thinking we have as, as an organization. We try to give as much support as we can to the people who are going to collect those samples so that we can align it with our valid development, our validation, and then, you know, have samples that you can have as good as a results as possible, uh, given the scope, you know, there's now purpose validations, context of use, doing a lot more work with tissue. So it, it has become more complex. We have all the uh, micro samples, but you know, at the end of the day, how you collect that sample, is just as important as the rest because that will impact your data. So trying to give everybody that vision and, and that, that critical thinking, because when people get that, they also bring you a lot of good ideas to the table that you might not have thought of. So you, you really have, you know, the world of bioanalysis is becoming so much more complex that we really need to harness the, the, the collective knowledge of everybody in the team. You can't just, you know, rely on your strongest people uh, because they're not thinking of, you know, the devil is in the details. So they they might not be thinking at that level. They're thinking at a much higher scientific level while you're, you know, you want it to be more uh, operationally, logistically successful also. Um, yeah. And since you are, you know, you, you, you do a lot of micro sampling and the patient centric sampling, you would be surprised how many VAMs samples we have received at our site on dry ice. <laughs> I know it happens all the time. And and I've heard of people receiving them on wet ice as well. You know, it's uh, bobbing around. It's yeah. But, but again, probably the person at the clinic who always collected blood and plasma, you know, that's what they used to continue doing what they were doing. So most people think that validating the VAMs, you no longer have freeze-thaw stability. You don't have, um, you know, lot storage stability in a freezer. But oh my goodness, the the, the stabilities that you now have to look at with and without desiccant. Uh, you have yes. to look at, uh, frozen uh, stability uh, with and without desiccant. You have to 
Think of people sampling at home and then leaving their sample in the car at 80 degrees for a few days. So we've actually purchased a humidity and temp oven with temperature and humidity so we can do some assessments to impact on the Mitra substrate, for example. I mean, a lot of it has been very successful, but still you need to know, right? Because human behavior, they might be told to, to ship it in as soon as they collect it, but they might not. Absolutely. I, I think um, the three examples you gave um, is illustrative of, of something, a seismic shift that's been happening in the last few years in, in the industry. You know, classically, we always thought of as, as big pharma being the people who originated technological change and CROs as being followers of that, you know, being nervous of making changes themselves and, and going for new technology until, you know, they thought their clients um, would understand that technology and would pay for it. And we've seen the shift as, as big pharma biological groups have got smaller. Um, it's become, you know, they're unable to do that technological innovation. And, and, you know, what's become really telling is, is now the differentiation in CROs. You've got CROs like Alter Sciences who do look at technology as an important differentiator and help them move forward. You know, the, what you guys put into understanding things like microsampling and what you, you know, you put in your other two examples there is, is not how most CROs think, certainly not how most CROs used to think. But, you know, I think, you know, you've captured it absolutely. You know, you realize it's good for business. It's good for staff development. Uh, it, it just helps you move forward. And, and the farmer aren't going to do it anymore. And you realize the benefits and you see the big picture. Whereas the classical CRO just says, give me the samples, I'll read the samples and I'll give you data. And you're not doing that. You're looking to move the agenda forward. And I think that's fantastic. And not all CROs are doing that. And I think... It's, it's been the big differentiator for the future because big pharma doesn't do that anymore. Biotechs don't know how to even start. And, uh, you know, without, without companies like you, we're going to be stagnated with the technology we've got now forever. And that might not be a bad thing, but um, I think it's exciting what, what you're doing and, and, you know, how you're doing it by bringing your your staff along with it and, and making them part of the change. And, you know, you've got a bunch of world leaders now on your staff that are publishing and are talking at major conferences. And I just think that's astounding, Anita. Well, we're very fortunate. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very, very proud of the group and, and from, you know, from the scientists, the bioanalytical principal investigators, our technicians, our support teams. I mean, it is a team effort. But again, the whole paradigm shift for pharma, I agree with you. But at some point, that's a bit worrying because, again, I see all the people that I work with at the different organizations are people that I've worked with for more, you know, decades. And where are, where are the new uh, new people coming into pharma bioanalytical groups because at the end of the day, when you outsource data, you know, work and data comes back, you, you need that critical eye. 
And that critical eye comes from experience. And if you have no more experience working in a lab, how are you going to evaluate the output from your CROs? I mean, I'm very proud of our CRO and our data quality, I think is excellent, but sometimes I, I do see a lot of, you know, people that we're working with, I mean, the, the ones that have been around, you know, a long time, of course they understand, but sometimes you deal with new people at smaller companies or new people uh, even at the pharmas that have never had that, that experience of generating data, um, reviewing data critically. And I, I do think that that will come back in if, you know, some changes will need to happen in the next decade or so. Um, because you're finding yourself having to educate those those customers, those clients, then if, if some of them don't know, are you having to educate them yourself? Well, again, uh, I wouldn't say educate, but really see the 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 from a different perspective because people, you know, everybody knows what they know. I mean, for myself, I. I came to Alta Sciences from an organization that was a preclinical uh, facility and worked, you know, I did do a lot of clinical work and, but I did preclinical also to Alta Sciences, which, you know, it's, it's initial business was uh, for the lab was bioequivalence, right? So it, it was just a totally different, um, mindset what you know i'd never seen anybody pipe at 150 microliters of a sample to and you know when i came here i was like oh wow yeah well if you have healthy volunteers that's how much sample you might get you might get 100 microliters i mean i was dealing with mice and rats so yeah. you know this even the skill set as you move from like think of something so simple as that if you're a company that is used to Allocating 100 microliters, and now you're transitioning that you're going to be allocating 20 microliters. It's a change. You have to start thinking of positive displacement pipettes. You have to think about which are harder to use. So you know it really comes down to the details, and and that's the same thing with our sponsors. If you have a sponsor that has always been dealing in clinical, their expectations or understanding might not be. Uh, for the cl preclinical part of their program, or or the opposite, you know, it, it it's you know once you get into clinical, you have co-administered compounds, uh, things like that. You have to consider which you might not have had to consider in the non-clinical space. So, again, educating and and sharing knowledge, and I think that's, um, I think most scientists and people in the scientific areas, when given the information, they can critically think about it and, and digest it and then use it appropriately, but it's just what you've been exposed to. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and I think a lot of what you're talking about there, Anahita, comes round to what we were talking about before, and that, that is relationships. You know, it's just the science, but above all that is relationships and how we work with each other, you know, whether it's working with an employee whether it's working with a client or whether it's working with a partner, you know, like you were talking about that example earlier at, at the other contract research organization where you just had to be patient with each other and learn each other's language and um, take some time. And um, it's all about relationships, really. And, and I know 
that's where I first met you in that previous preclinical job. And uh, you're like a breath of fresh air coming in, into what we were doing there because suddenly you were this person who didn't just roll over and say yes all the time. You asked questions. And, and if you had a different opinion, you made that clear. And that was absolutely fantastic, Anahita, you know, because... Yeah, you know, maybe in thinking about it in hindsight, you find it fantastic, maybe not back then. <laughs> no, it was because we all learned from that and the, the, a better product came out of that because it was a, it was a, you know, everyone, when I was at GSK, everyone talked about partnerships with CROs, but no one ever really did it. Everyone knew what was really going on. You know, it was pharma and CRO and the CRO had to be subservient. And then I came across you and we had this equal relationship where we just talked as equals. And, and if you thought what we were talking about was rubbish, you said that, not in so many words, but you were quite clear. And out of that came a better solution. And I think that was fantastic. And that was a true relationship, you know, a relationship and and um, a partnership. That That's what it's all about, trying to do the right thing to get the best data, which in the end is going to be the best for the medicine and for the patient. So you, know, you taught me a lot. So, so again, well, well, again, that's what we do here at Alta Sciences is we try to give all the employees from sample management uh, you know, from, you know, technicians all the way to project managers and, and the bioanalytical principal investigators and the method development scientists, really a vision of what we're doing. We're just not contracting a study from a sponsor. We we are part of the development process and, and we take enormous pride whenever we see one of the drugs and programs that we've worked on uh, be successful or move on to the next milestone because we feel that we contributed and and it's visible so people have that idea of what what the bigger picture of their work is and it's not just coming and pipetting or aliquoting or extracting or running our uh you know a different a system it, it has an end result that is going to hopefully help uh people and and everybody knows people so yeah no absolutely Anahita. and it's kind of hard to follow what you just said there because it's it's absolutely perfect and you know a great summary for how you work and how you think and how you make a difference and I, I I think what you do is you may not realize it but it is different and it is different in a good way and that that's special and it rubs off on the people around you and you know I've met a few of the people that work with you and. Um, that makes them different and special in a good way as well. So, you know, congratulations to you in, in what you do and how you do it. And uh, may you keep on doing it, Anahita. It's, yeah, thank uh, you. You should be proud. Um, yeah. So that's probably a good place to end this CPSA Everyday event. Um, thank you for everyone for listening and uh, see you in another event soon. All right, thank, thank you. you. Bye.